You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me uh, to chapter 4. We're going to finish out chapter 4 today. Um, Hope everyone's doing good today. Um, I am so thankful that uh, how God... Uh, used Dave last week um, to help us with our sanctification, right? Um, Dave, when I uh, was looking at taking uh, some time off over the summer and uh, just the way things were lining up, I was like, maybe maybe Dave will want to come up and, and preach. I know he's, he's done a lot of speaking at, over at the college for our crew students, and I enjoy the man immensely. Um, always learn every time I sit down with him. Um, we... I learned from him, and, and I, I was grateful that Dave was obedient, right? He's like, mm, Joe, I got this passage, and it's, um, you know, and if you were here last week, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm, I'm so glad that he was obedient and brought you a message that, yes, it was maybe hard to hear, but one that was edifying, that maybe showed some areas of your life where you need to repent of, turn, and trust in the Lord. Um, I'm just amazed that how God cares so much. I mean, stop and think about this. Anytime this happens, and this may not happen just on a Sunday morning. This may happen just in your everyday walk where people are brought in to say, and it's like, wait a minute, I've heard this same thing six times. Is God trying to tell me something here, right? I'm just, it's just amazing that God cares so much for us, that he, he speaks to Dave, who comes here to speak, right? I didn't tell him what to talk about or anything like that, but some of the main themes that he picked up on and discussed were the things that we've been talking about over the last months, that, you know, such as obedience to God's word, being autonomous, which he went into the Gnosticism side of it, being doers of the word, not just thinkers of the word. Reminding us that you're not your own. You're bought at a price. To be honest, personally, um, I listened to it, and Anthony and I are, were traveling on the way back um, from Ohio, and we plugged in the service and listened to it live, and then I listened to it again because there were some things I wanted to take some notes on. Um, I'm still struggling with this statement, and maybe some of you wrote this down, jotted it down whenever he said it last week. Is this statement, why should Satan... Bother the church today with trials when he can just destroy the church with a few pleasures. Ouch. That just a, a few pleasures sprinkled into our lives will, will cause us to drift away from our purpose, from our mission. That, that's one that I've been um, just kind of, that's where God spoke to Joe and, and said, Look, you know, what are you doing? Let's take a look. And it's maybe, I don't know, maybe because I was coming back from vacation. I don't know. But it's a true statement, is it not? He doesn't need to persecute the church. He just needs to, to, to make us comfortable. And we'll quickly be off mission on to running after our own things, right? This statement kind of leads us into what God is showing us today in Genesis 4, 17 through 26. As we see the family of Cain prospering in so many ways. They, they were creating culture and building a city that was grand and, and full of pleasures. It was, they were very much prospering, although they were in sin. However, 
we see that whenever you read the, the account of Cain's line and, and as we move forward and in the book of Genesis is there's one thing missing about not only his city but also the culture that they created and that of course is God remember Cain's Cain is like, it, it was, whenever we read the first part of chapter 4, it was just barely in there where he was like, man, I'm going to be away from the presence of God. And then he quickly went into worrying about his own hide, but it was there. So Cain's city that, that Cain built, that we're going to read about, it was a monument. It was a self-sufficient culture that they created. It should sound familiar. It should sound familiar because it's every message that we get every time we turn on the TV, every time we look at our social media, and every time we're, we're in school or in that kind of an environment. It's look within yourself, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, be self-sufficient. It's all about you. That's not how God designed us. He designed us to depend on him and he designed us, designed us to depend on one another. We will see today that the culture that Cain's descendants created is still alive and well today. We will read about today the many advances man made. However, one thing also advanced, and that was the downward spiral, which is starting in verse, right, in, in chapter 3 and goes all the way to 11, the downward spiral of man or humanity into sin, right? Is there any hope? Is there any hope? I mean, when we're looking and we're reading about this account, and, you're in, and maybe you've read it beforehand, and you're like, okay, what is, what is happening here? I, I see the end. Most of you have probably got to the end and say, okay, there, there's some good news there. But what is he saying in the rest of it? What is he showing us in this? Is there any hope? Well, God does give us some hope in these verses. He shows us something about himself and, and what he has done to give us this hope. Does God within these verses give us any help in fulfilling our purpose? Remember what Dave said last week, you're not your own, you were bought at a price. Go for, go therefore in what? Make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Go and make disciples. That is the, the mission, beloved. That's, that's what we are to, to be doing. If you're not on that mission, if you're not giving your life to that mission, well, then Satan has won in your life, maybe. Which is, by the way, the church. It's us. We are the church, not the building. Maybe he has dangled a few pleasures in front of us, and we are running hard after them. Instead of running hard after the mission. Instead of going and, and declaring what Jesus has done for us. Finding our greatest joy in him. Not of the things of this world. And the greatest pleasure Satan dangles in front of us today is the same one he dangled in front of Eve, brother and sister. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a lie of the mind. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that pleasure is simply stated by saying, believing that you are your own God. Being self-governed, which is very definition of autonomy, which is a very root of sin. I'm self-governed. 
I'll decide for myself what is right for wrong. I read the word, but I'll put the word under my judgment and I'll decide whether or not. I mean, the whole Bible says, if you just follow me, you will have the greatest joy that you could ever experience. We, we just don't believe that. We're constantly chasing after the things of this world and, and I'm the same way. Been spending this week looking at ways that the, the carrot has been dangled in front of me and I've been chasing after some pleasures of this world. Where do we get hope to live differently, to live on mission, to live counterculturally in a world that is much like Cain's self-sufficient utopia that he built? We always got to remember that this was written to Israel. They were about to enter a land where anything we see in the city and in this culture in Genesis 4 is alive and well in the land Israel's about to enter. And it's alive and well, brother and sister, in the land that we live in today. So I have a statement that, that, that I want to, to walk through a little bit, and, and hopefully I can show you where I got this from, from the passage. Here's the statement. And this, is, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to accomplish this, right? This is how we're not going to be pulled away by Satan to the pleasures. This is how we're going to stay on mission. This is how we're going to live a life pleasing to God. And it's this, depending on God's faithfulness is how we become an unanxious presence in a self-sufficient world. And I want to unpack that unanxious presence. I know some of you are like, wait a minute, I've heard that before. Yeah, Daniel preached the message of that title. It's, it comes from a Mark Sayers book as he's talking about the reappearing church in a secular culture. That we need to be an unanxious presence. So depending on God's faithfulness, that's what we are to do. We are to trust in God. We are to trust him. We are to trust his faithfulness. That's how we become an unanxious presence in a self-sufficient world. So let me just read the passage and pray and then we'll, we'll dive in. Genesis 4, beginning at verse 17. It says this, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahajael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the, the one was um, Ida, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ida bore Jebel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, who was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, who was the forger of all instruments in bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and, Ida and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At the time, people began to call 
upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you will help us see, to see your faithfulness within this passage so that it is, it is brought out bright so that we may depend and trust in that. Lord, in doing so, we can then depend to live our lives on you and not all the things of this world. Lord, help us. We need help. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story contains the genealogy of Cain, right? There's been growing interest today, mainly because of all the technology we have and, and DNA things and different like that. There's just been a big um, upsurge of this interest in genealogies and ancestries, right? And why do we do that? Some of the reasons I kind of found um, looking through the, the web was we, we find out stories about our family, whether or not they're true or not, right? That's one reason why we look at that. Another way we do is we sometimes try to see if we're related to someone famous, you know, uh, someone in, in the past. Not sure. Um, I guess that may be feeding into some identity um, things that, that our culture and everything that we're, we're pressed into uh, today is teaching us that we must form an identity, right? Even though God gives us our identity. Um, but the main reason is to learn where you came from, right? It's where you came from. And all this, again, I think is, is feeding into the identity kind of crisis that we have in our culture today of everyone trying to figure out who they are and, and defining that in so many different ways and trusting in so many different things to define it for him. So Cain's genealogy and the accomplishments of his descendants is sub symbolic of human culture. Um, a human culture with great civilizations and no God. There's the key point. Great civilizations, but no God. A self-sufficient world. Although Cain sinned, God does not entirely remove his original blessing. His original blessing, if you remember, is be fruitful and multiply. Right? Why? We read in Genesis 4.17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. God is pouring out his blessing. Hooray, all is good. Things are starting out pretty good, right? God is blessing them, but man, does it take a quick turn to the bad. So Cain decides, I am going to build a city, and I'm going to name it after my son, right? We read this and probably think nothing of it, but we must look at the heart of Cain. Why is he building a city, right? He's he went to the land of Nod, which actually means wanderer. God put a mark on him to keep him safe. And now he's going to build a city. Now, whenever we see city here in this context, don't think, you know, New York City, massive place, right? A city back in those days is any place with a wall. <laughs> so if it has a wall, right, maybe a couple of them, then that city, a, a settlement, it could be big, it could be small, right? So just because we think city, oh, you know, we don't live in a city, even though Frostburg calls itself a city. I guess it's a city. Um, but don't think, you know, New York City, big city, or Los Angeles, or something like that. That's all, that's all it means here. So we must see that, that Cain's heart, he's seeking the security 
of his city, right? He's, he's not only going to make a city, he's going to name it after his son, meaning that obviously he's turned away from God and he's not trusting God anymore. Cain is saying, I don't need God's protection. Again, remember that God marked him. God marked him so that, that no one can harm him. He had God's protection, right? God marked him and God is protecting this man and he's kind of saying, nope, I'm going to build me a city and I'm going to, I'm going to dwell in this city and that's what's going to protect me. Can you see his, his heart? Just like we saw his heart whenever his reaction to not being accepted was murder, was anger, was envy, right? We kind of see his heart here. The city is definitely a statement to God. Right? It's definitely a statement to God. And in his mind, he was the captain of his own soul, right? This is autonomy. I'm in charge. I'll make the decisions. I know, God, you said that you're going to protect me, but I don't want that. I'm going to, I'm going to build me a city, right? This was an attempt um, to perpetrate his name through his son, right? So he's going to carry on his name, right? He's going to build him a great city, name it after his son. He's going to carry his name through his son, and Ruth read to us this morning, it might have been kind of odd dropping in where we did drop in, but it, in that psalm, if you want to go back and, and read that maybe after service or something, it's really showing us what will happen to those. The psalmist is telling us what happens to those who build themselves a city and naming it after themselves. What did Ruth read? Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations that they called lands by their name. In other words, that their dwelling place forever, and that's what we're all talking about, that's what all we're thinking about is eternity, right? Their dwelling place forever is going to be in that city, meaning it's not going to be with God, right? It's not going to be with God. So go ahead and build a city. Name it after your son. Carry on your name, but you will live there, you will die there, and spend eternity there. That's, that's a scary thought. Because that means that we're not spending eternity with God. Right? What the psalm is telling us is those who build their own city will dwell in that city for all eternity. The city is pointing us to chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel, but we're not going to get there yet. We've got to wait for that to come. As some of you already know the, the story of Tower of Babel and, and what the declaring statement was of those people. Same people here. Same people. So let's look at our statement. Depending on God's faithfulness is how we become an unanxious presence in a self-sufficient world. So I said I would promise I would unpack that unanxious present part, right? See, I came across an exceptional definition and I'm looked and looked and tried to figure out, I, I, I'm not sure where I read this. I wrote it down. Like I, I have my notepad that I write things down and I can't remember where I got it, but it was a great and fabulous, awesome definition of anxiety. Think about this. Just be honest with yourself, right? Anxiety, listen to this, is believing there is security apart from God. That's the very definition of anxiety. If you are feeling anxious, it's because something is threatening what you are trusting for your security. 
It's the very definition of anxiety. Right? So Cain was building himself a city for security. He was building himself a city. Even though he had God's promise that no one's going to harm you, he's building a city for his security. Name it after his son, going to carry on my name. Right? So the logical question is this. What are you building today? What are we building today? Are we building a reputation to trust in for security? Then when someone threatens that reputation, we get all anxious. Then we probably get mad. Then we probably murder. Because if you hate somebody in your heart, Jesus says that's murder. See how this is onion is being unpacked here? What about wealth, knowledge, material possessions, family? What are we believing in today to give us our security other than God? See, brothers and sisters, we'll never live as an unanxious presence, as those that look different than the world, which is what we're called to be. That's what, that's what Sam wrote, right? We're sojourners. That's what Sam read. We're sojourners in this world. This world, we don't belong here. We're just passing through, right? If we're trusting God, that he has a a new heavens and a new earth for us. So what are we we trusting in? What What are we building? You know, Cain was building a city. Many times we build other things to trust in for the security that we can only get from God. Can we see that when we do this, all we're doing is falling into the trap of the garden? Remember Genesis 3, the very beginning of it? If you go back one verse to Genesis 2, Adam and Eve was naked and unafraid. And then they trust and they take the tree, right? They they believe the lie. They fell into the attitude of the heart that God can't be trusted that I can put God's word under his judgment. And then how does that, that section end? They were naked and ashamed. That's security, brother and sister. See, in the garden, they were naked and unashamed because they believed God's word. And they were completely secure in what God said. And then they went and did their own thing, and now they're naked and ashamed and hiding it's the Christian life. We want everybody to come out of hiding. And we can come out of hiding because all of our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And we're all in the same boat. All of us. We want to put our security in him. Then we can live as an unanxious presence in this world. Right? Eve was going to get her security not by everything that God was given her, but by gaining the knowledge of good and evil, naked and unashamed, naked and hiding. Anything we trust in other than God for our security will ultimately fail us, and we are left what? What happens whenever things fail us? We're left hiding again, are we not? We're left hiding again. How do we fight against this? We, we depend on God's faithfulness. 
He is faithful. He will protect us. Cain didn't believe that that mark was going to protect him, that God would protect him. He is faithful. We depend on that. We trust in that. What did Jesus say? I'm not going to read the the whole thing, but in Matthew 6, he says, Do not be anxious about your life. Do not seek after those things that unbelievers seek after. The things of the world. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added. And here's, here's the trust. Depend on my Father's faithfulness, is what Jesus is saying to us. Depend on his faithfulness. No need to be anxious. Although we do, and it's something we need to repent of, and his grace is right there. So in order for us to be an unanxious presence in this chaotic world, who trust in politics, money, power, beauty for their security, we must be a faith family that depends on God's faithfulness to be secure. We are to to believe and trust on his faithfulness. Cain built himself a city, but what about his descendants? What did his descendants do, right? Cain built him a city. Well, his descendants created a culture. That's what they did. They created a culture. That's what we read in these verses. And unfortunately, what we see is sin doesn't just ruin the individual Right? It ruins the culture also because culture is created by individuals. What we see here in verses 18 through 24 is also human beings are very sinful. But however, in that sin, they are still in the image of God, right? They're still in the image of God. They are still, they are still creating things. Why? Because God is a creating God. They're still in his image. We rem- if we remember that we said in Genesis 2 that as an image bearer, we reflect God. Who is God? He is a creator God. Because we reflect a creator God in whose image we were made, we ourselves are creative. Right? Many of us are creative in many different ways. Adam and Eve were to cultivate the garden, creatively rearranging the raw materials of the ground so as to bring about produce. To produce things, to produce food and flowers and other kinds of plants that help beings flourish and grow and live. That's what happened in the garden, right? They're to be creators. We're in his image. We're still created, but we're, we're tainted with sin. So what is culture making, right? That's the question, because if, if Cain built a city and his descendants built a culture, then we need to define what culture making is, and I'll rely on Tim Keller for this. He says this, you take the stuff, the raw materials of the world, and you produce things for human life and flourishing. So when you take the raw material of sound and human experience and you produce music and narrative, that's the arts. When you take the raw material of the physical world, you produce technology and the sciences. When you take the biological raw material and rearrange it for human flourishing, that's medicine and other things. So you see that that's how we create culture. That's how culture is created around us. Even though Cain and his descendants are twisted by sin, they're still producing culture. So you have down here in in verse 20, you have um, the raising of animals, 
right? We see that in verse 20. You have the harp and the flute and the music in verse 21. There's some of the arts being created. We have technology, tools, bronze and iron in verse 22 being created. See, they're producing culture. But unfortunately, because of sin, this culture is now a culture of death. Where Jesus, I mean, where, where God put Adam and Eve in the garden to, to cultivate life, this culture that, that Cain's descendants are, are building is a culture of death, right? And within the passage, it kind of narrows down as we, as we see his descendants creating this culture, then it kind of, this, the narrative kind of focuses in on Lamech, right? A culture of oppression and a culture of violence. That's the culture that Lamech is, is, is given testimony to here. A culture of oppression and a culture of violence. We see that oppression is found when Lamech decides to take two wives defying God's word. All right, we see that. In these verses. And what he did in taking two wives is defied God's word. God's original plan was for a man to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, not his wives, right? All through the rest of the Bible, all you have is polygamy, don't we? It's like from here it kicks off and all through the Bible we have this. Robert Alter, who is a Jewish scholar, says this about polygamy. If you read all through the stories from here down through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, etc. One of the main subtexts, and therefore one of the main points of the book of Genesis is polygamy. It is an absolute disaster, right? One of the main points of the book of Genesis is polygamy is an absolute disaster. It is a disaster for everyone involved, but especially for the woman, because they are oppressed. They cannot flourish because they are outside of God's design, right? They're outside of God's design. And many times it wasn't by their choice either. I know that polygamy still happens today, right? You're saying, okay, this is a, a concept that really it's like, okay, this is something that happens in the Old Testament. Well, no, it's still practiced today, unfortunately. Um, but what came to mind to me when I'm thinking about this and you're thinking of, okay, Think of the situation, okay, Lamech takes two wives and it really does create oppression for, it's probably at different times, either one or, or the other um, wife, right? And we see all through the Old Testament, right, that, that this has happened in, in many different ways and many different um, situations and, and circumstances. But you know what, I, I was just thinking through it and just trying to be honest as I'm trying to process this and, and thinking about this, but if you think about just some of the, the families that, that, get, that get torn apart by divorce and then, um, you know, and then there's different, 
later on down the road, you, you add in different people and, and sometimes it, there's never a remarriage and it's not in honor of God. It's just this, you know, I'm with this person. And, and then you end up with a, a broken family that, that has maybe, you know, maybe there's one guy and there's a couple different ladies with several different kids. And, and if you think about all of that dynamics, isn't someone's being oppressed? Right, because sometimes you're you're within the family, and I'm talking about even my my own family that, that was was broken apart um, by divorce. Where I could see, and, and I was I was just thinking through this, where sometimes that you know, like the, so the the biological child is you know probably um, uh, held up a little bit more than the, the the stepchild, and so maybe the stepchild is being oppressed. But do you see this this multiple wives idea of how it creates? Oppression throughout the family, right? Throughout the family. This is what Lamech is creating. This culture of, of oppression, right? This culture of oppression. We see oppression and then we see violence in the culture that Lamech's creating. Where Cain was warned that sin is crouching at the door, it will have you. Lamech is boasting about his sin, of violence. He's boasting about it to his wives. We actually read it in a poem that Lamech declares to his wives in verses 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Let me just give you Joe's translation. Because whenever, you, if you read, maybe you guys have different uh, translations right now, and, and like everyone's using a little bit different wording, right? Because as you dig in a little bit deeper to the way this is worded in the original language, it really kind of says this, that child scratched me and I killed him. That's what Lamech's saying. That's what Lamech is, is boasting about. Something as little as a child, right? Or Young lad, some translations would say. He just bruised me, or he scratched me, but I killed him. Right? What is Lamech trying to say here? What he's trying to say here is, I will never give up revenge. I will never lay aside my anger. I will never forgive anybody for ever wronging me. A culture... Of violence. Lamech is boasting about his actions. He is proud. Look at the violence and look at the pride that's within his heart. So we look at the culture of death being created in Genesis 4, and have we not seen this played out today with abortion, with riots, the wars, and just the fact that the human life is not thought of as a sacred life anymore. Where people are picking and choosing in the womb whether or not that baby is valuable or not, according to whether or not it has certain traits or certain genes. It's alive today. If you don't think these things affect you and me, let, let me just ask the question that will probably, most of us at least, 
how did you do with your rage over the last presidential cycle? How did your rage show you what you're trusting in for your security? We are Christians. We are to be different because he has possessed us with his spirit that has the fruit of gentleness and and joy. (laughs) Right? It may have revealed um, what we're putting our security in. So the heart issue is pride with Lamech. That's why his revenge is mine, and, and man, I'm going to take it out to the nth degree. Which shows up in anger, which leads to violence. So again, you have an attitude of the heart, a lie for the mind, and an act of the will. It is when we believe the lie that people are here to serve me and not me to serve them. The result is human culture twisted by sin. You no longer have a culture based on life through service, which is what God designed. Adam and Eve was to serve. They were to cultivate the land. Right? Jesus came, what? To serve and not be served. Right? Resist the self-sufficient culture that is all around us today and depend on God. Right? We are to depend on God. Again, depending on God's faithfulness, it's how we become an unanxious presence in a self-sufficient world. Where do we see God's faithfulness in the midst of all this chaos? We see it in the last two verses. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So now you have another line started. You have the the line of Cain that that builds cities and creates the culture of death. And then you have the line through Enosh that, what? Is calling upon the name of the Lord. Eve now knows that Cain was not the promised seed of the woman. The younger Abel was, and Cain killed him. But in his faithfulness, God has appointed me another child instead of Abel, is what she says. The point of the narrative now becomes clear. In the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, God is faithful in continuing the line of the seed of the woman. He is faithful. He's continuing the seed the seed that we're going to tra- we can trace all the way to Jesus. He's faithful to do that. Even though Cain and his, his descendants are, are going away from God, I'm going to be faithful. One day. It's kind of what this narrative is telling Israel. This is what this narrative is telling us. I'm trying to apply it by sending, depending on his faithfulness, Right? then we can be an anxious presence in a self-sufficient world, right? Let 
In the line of Cain, we see a city built and a culture created, but increasingly people declaring that they don't need God. They are self-sufficient. In this line of the seed of the woman, we see people who are weak, a mere breath. That's what Abel actually means. He's a breath because he's only there for a short time. But people who call on the name of the Lord, they recognize their dependence on the Lord, their king, and make the Lord central in their lives. They pray to God and worship him. Abel was the first of many, many martyrs. The Egyptians drowned the Israelite boys in the River Nile. Jezebel killed so many prophets of the Lord. What did Elijah say? He's like, man, this woman's killed them all, and I'm the only one left. But that wasn't the truth. God, what? Was faithful, and what? Had some prophets set aside. But God kept the seed of the woman alive until the Messiah could be born. Through God's will, Satan kind of thought he had the victory when the seed of the woman Jesus Christ was killed on the cross. But the persecution did not stop there, did it? What did Jesus tell his disciples? What did Jesus tell his disciples? I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of the wolves. You will be hated by all because of my name. And he, and he just reminded them that if they killed me, what are they going to do to you? Because the disciple is not above his teacher, right? But we, thankfully, we do. The good news is, the hope is, the glory is, is we know the end of the story. <laughs> Jesus will crush Satan, throw him into the lake of fire, right? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God. We may think that we are not involved in a battle, but brother and sister, maybe in this country we live in peace, right? But all around the world, there are brothers and sisters in Christ being killed by the culture of death. The 20th century saw more Christian martyrs than all the preceding 19 centuries. About 45 million saints who gave their lives trying to be an unanxious present in a self-sufficient world. How will you react when, when the battle comes to your doorstep? Because it's coming. COVID, is, if it's done anything, it's, it's accelerated, and it's coming, brothers and sisters. John's letter gives us a little bit of instructions. In 1 John, it says this, We should not be like Cain, who was an evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Later on in his letter, he reminds us, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For, the one, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, we are reminded that it is not our effort that overcomes. It's not our effort that overcomes. It is Jesus who defeated death, hell, and the grave and has given us the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And that Holy Spirit is much greater than anything around us. We live under the gospel of grace. We depend on God 
not on herself, brother and sister. Depending on God's faithfulness is how we become an unanxious presence in a self-sufficient world. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.